So I'm sure you'll find it helpful to have your Bible open at uh, Romans chapter 6. And uh, we're going to read the first 11 verses. So Romans chapter 6, 1 to 11. And before we read, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Again, let's pray. Father, we come to your word once again, thanking you for it. And we pray you'd help us to understand it and to apply it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So Paul begins, and we looked at this last time, back in November. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved, we would no longer be enslaved but to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all, for the life He lives, he lives, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we've been in the last, in chapter 5 and into chapter 6, we've been thinking about the, in fact, through the, through the, the book of Romans, which we began a few months ago. We've been thinking about the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, because it's, of course, uh, God's power of salvation for salvation. The gospel is the instrument that God uses to save people out of the, the darkness of this fallen world and to bring us into the light of the glory of his kingdom. And, uh, in, and in that gospel, we find this amazing gift of the righteousness of God, uh, a righteousness that comes from God. Uh, so we do not have a righteousness. Um, we are unrighteous in all our sin, so our sin makes us unrighteous, and there's nothing we can do about it by ourselves. But God comes with his righteousness, uh, and he makes it over to us in Christ and when he does that when we definitively put our trust in Christ. And at that moment, we are declared to be righteous. That's the amazing thing about the gospel, isn't it? We, we believe in Jesus, and because of all that Jesus is, that becomes ours. Jesus' righteousness becomes our righteousness. Um, and we become, so all our sins are forgiven, we, are, we become acceptable to him because Jesus 
as the only true righteous man, took our place and uh, suffered on the cross for us. And all of that was done out of love, uh, the love of God uh, that sent his son into the world. Before uh, we loved him, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his son to be a savior. And now he gives life to the believer. And it sounds almost too good to be true, doesn't it? Such a gospel. It's hard to believe that God could be so gracious. Especially when we have contributed nothing to our salvation. The only thing we've contributed to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Isn't that true? We have only, that's all we have contributed to it. And now Paul, in chapter 6, he anticipates, because of that fullness of the gospel and the freeness of the gospel, uh, Paul anticipates a question that may well arise in his readers and hearers. Uh, and uh, we looked at this last time, uh, that question in verse 1. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, if, if, if the gospel is so free, if God's salvation is so free, uh, why bother to stop sinning? Can't we just carry on? Uh, why not just keep doing it? After all, God's grace abounds over every sin. Wherever there's a sin, God's grace seems to abound all the more. He says in 5.20, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It seems, you know, whatever your sin is, uh, grace covers all sin. So you might ask the question, well, why can't we just keep sinning? And, and that's all right then. And Paul begins to, to show how that's a mistake. Um, because, of course, there's much more to God's salvation than merely acquittal and release from God's court of justice. Uh, there now begins rehabilitation, if you like, to put it that way. If I, if I may switch to a building metaphor, uh, the demolition of the building has been avoided in his judgment but now begins the renovations. <laughs> uh, or if I, can, if I use more biblical language, up to the end of chapter 5, we've been talking about the, uh, uh, Christ's death and resurrection, meaning my justification, that I'm acquitted of all my sin and accepted as righteous, justification. But now in chapter 6, we're talking about Christ's death and resurrection, meaning my sanctification. So, our salvation consists not simply of our justification, but our justification and then our sanctification. That we are being made holy. Now the Christian's experience of the benefits of salvation come as a result of one, one single fundamental reality that is now true for the person who has saving faith in Christ. That he or she is united to Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. We'll explain what that means, uh, I hope, later on. But what you need to understand is that when you put faith in Jesus, there's, there's a union that comes about between you and Jesus Christ. You're bonded to him. And you receive that life for him. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you are united to Christ. And today I just want to spell out what that, 
what that is going to mean for us and what the implications are. So there are three things to consider here. What does it mean to be united in his death? That sounds a bit strange because we're all living and breathing. Secondly, what does it mean to be united in his resurrection? And thirdly, how should that affect our daily lives? So that, that's where we're, that's the direction of travel. So first of all, what does it mean to be united in his death? And this is what he says in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his. Now Paul's already said that we are, uh, we have been baptized into Christ, you know, and he's, he's speaking there about real water baptism. He's uh, using that symbol, that sacramental symbol, to remind his readers, you have been uh, uh, baptized into Christ. So when you're baptized, and I say to you children who've been baptized, uh, you were being identified with Jesus Christ uh, in some way, in his death and his resurrection. It represents for you your uh, a union with Jesus that comes by faith. So what does it mean to be baptized, uh, sorry, to be united with him in a death like his? Uh, we're all living and breathing, as I said, I uh, hope. They haven't quite died yet. And uh, so what does it mean that I have died? And this is where we have to be careful with the words of Scripture. Uh, this death, the death that he's speaking about is a death like Jesus' death. It's, it's not literally a death, so it resembles Jesus' death, but it's not the same. And he goes on to explain that the old self was crucified. You see that in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what does he mean by the old self? It means the self that you were before you became, you came to faith in Jesus. And you may remember that last time, at the end of November, uh, we thought about this transition from the old self to the new self as rather like emigrating. Emigrating from one jurisdiction to another. So you're, previously you were in sin, that locational preposition in, you were in sin before, but now you're in Christ. And so you've been translated from one realm to another, from one kingdom to another. And all of that happens by God's grace. Now, before you were in Christ, but you were in sin. And it's talking about your pagan life. The old self. It's like you were in the old country. But after, Christ, after faith in Christ, you're in the new life. You're in the Christian life. You're with Christ, the new self. You're in the new kingdom. You're in a new situation altogether. And Paul is saying that when you come, uh, came to faith in Christ, it was like the old you was crucified on the cross. The old you was crucified on the cross. So, so you see, being united to Christ in his death means a direct correspondence. So on the one hand, Christ died physically on, uh, in his death on the cross. 
But on, on the other hand, corresponding with that, your old self was crucified as well. When Christ was on the cross, he was laying the foundations of a change in your spiritual circumstances. And that change comes about in your life the moment you believe. And that transition from the old life to the new life is powerfully effected. Now realize the significance of what he's saying here. Uh, He is not saying that you are to do something here. He is not saying that you are to put to death the old self. He does that elsewhere. Colossians 3.5 he says that. But he's not actually saying that here. He is saying something happened on the cross. And you had nothing to do with it. You were crucified. The old life was crucified on that cross when Jesus died. Christ has done it all. And all that's happened to you since is that you have believed the gospel. Something has happened to you. And so there are, there are two really important implications when you become a Christian and put your faith in Christ. The first is that you are definitively separated from your old self. When you believe in Jesus, you are definitively separated from your old self. Something has happened to you that cannot be reversed. That old life, that old self has been crucified. And now that it's dead, it really is dead, it's gone. And just as Jesus died in an instant, so when you're united to Christ by faith, your old self died. That's the first implication. You're definitively separated from that old life. Secondly, there's no going back to that old life. Any more than Jesus can come down now from heaven again and return to where he was before his death. Jesus cannot come down, will not come down from heaven as a humble servant. He will come in glory. And it's also impossible for the Christian who has saving faith to return to that old life. So there can be no falling away from grace when God has done this work. There is nothing for the real Christian to fall to because it's all gone. The old life is gone. When you're united with Jesus Christ, he will not let you go. Now this is what Paul goes on to say in verse uh, verse 6. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The body of sin, that old life, is described like a slave owner. And that slave owner used to push you, to drive you, so that you'd live according to your sinful desires. And you would obey those sinful desires. Because you were under its authority. You would just do what you wanted to do. But now that 
authority of the body of sin is definitively broken. So whereas once you were enslaved, now you're free. Christian, you're free. You're free of that power. Never to return to that old place called sin. And to live like your old self. You are indeed free. Now you're maybe sitting there thinking, well, I still sin, don't I? Uh, I, I'm still a sinner. So let me develop an an analogy which I introduced last time. This idea of emigrating. uh, And going to this new country, you you decide to emigrate because there's so many more benefits in this new country perhaps. Better job or something, you know. Um, and you say to yourself, yeah, this is it. This is definitive. I'm, I'm going to this new country, and I'm never going to go back to, to my old country. Some of you have done that. Uh, some of you may, have decided, may not quite have decided that, but some of you have. You're coming to this country, and you're going to stay. And you're going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm living a new life. I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to learn the customs. I'm going to learn the food. Uh, I'm going to immerse myself in this new country and be there forever. But every so often you think about the old country. You think just for a moment, wouldn't it be nice to go back? You know, I might think, well, wouldn't it be nice to just uh, wear those strange clothes they wear in Scotland? Or eat that haggis, (laughs) which is hard to get down here. Or whatever, you know, you you just think to yourself, "Can can I just... Go back and taste a little bit. And every so often you think, well, you, know, you, you, let, it, you let your wife or your husband know and, and uh, they find out and, uh, and your, your guilty little secret is, is out. Uh, you have this guilty secret. You want to go, you've had this desire to go back. Now the analogy is this. The reason I'm spelling this out is the analogy is this. It's one thing to live in a new country and to relapse into kilt-wearing as you might do if you're Scottish. That's one thing, to live in a new country but just sometimes relapse into the habits of the old country. It's quite another to go back and live there. And it's the same for the Christian. In a moment of weakness, there might be sin and it looks like you have, you're living like you're in the old country. But it doesn't mean you're actually in the old country. We should always, this is the encouragement that comes from the gospel, that even when we sin, we can look at the gospel and say, I'm not in the old country anymore. I'm not in that place called sin. It doesn't mean that the old self is alive. For those of us who have become Christians, it's vital now that we think this way about ourselves. We think of ourselves in the new country under Christ in that realm of grace, that kingdom of God. The old self is gone. The old country is gone. The old country of sin is not our home. It has no power over us, no ultimate power over us. We have union with Christ in the likeness of his death. You see? So union, united in his death. But what does it mean to say that we are united in his resurrection? And Paul's reasoning continues like this. If it is true, and it is that we are united with Christ in the likeness of his death, so also it is true that we are united with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection. 
And he's not referring here to the final resurrection of our bodies. I hope you understand that. When he spoke of our union into his death, he related the physical death of Christ to the death of our old self. But now when he speaks of our union and his resurrection, he relates the physical resurrection of Christ to our new life and the new self we now live in faith. So that in this resurrection, there is something much more immediate for us. He is speaking of a new life that we are now living. Lived with Christ and towards God. And what Paul is showing us is that the resurrection of a Christian actually begins long before we die physically. The resurrection begins in the heart. The foundations have been laid for this new life through Christ's literal physical resurrection from the dead. Death is defeated by Christ. The power of sin is broken by Christ. The power of death is broken by Christ. And there is a way through to life, but it's only through Christ. And it begins inwardly as we we come to living faith in Christ, you see. We become new selves, living a new life and a new power. And it's completed, it's consummated at the final resurrection of our bodies from the dead. This is how Paul thinks. Uh, There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Paul speaks about his life of ministry and how... It is a ministry of suffering and trial and difficulty. Uh, And he's suffering for the gospel. But he says this, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You see the the two parts of his thinking here. He says, my outer body is wasting away. I'm suffering in my body. But inwardly, I'm being renewed every day. The implication of this for the believer is clear when we consider again that we are united with Christ. Christ was raised from the dead, never to die again. So in the same way, Christian believer, uh, you have been united to him in his resurrection. You will not uh, die again and go back to the old life. You may die physically, but you will be resurrected in your body. And this salvation that Christ has won for you on the cross can never be lost. There's no going back to that old life. You've been raised to life. See, so we're united to Christ in a death like his. We are united to Christ in a resurrection like his. Here and now, what are the implications then for our lives today? Let me just finish off with a few thoughts on this. What does it mean for the Christian? Well, Paul, what Paul has shown, has done is, is shown us that putting one's faith in Christ and the work that he did in his death and resurrection brings about some new realities for the believer that go far beyond the mere experience of believing. There has been a definitive break with the old life, which is now dead. There is no going back to it. And instead, you have a new life, a resurrection life with Christ, which will be completed at the final resurrection. And what comes out of this now, I think there are a couple of things. First of all, the importance of knowing the facts of the gospel, the facts and the implications of the gospel. If you look at verse 9, 
Uh, you'll see Paul says this. Oh. Wrong page. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will uh, that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Paul sh- is showing us here the, the the value of knowing and believing in what Christ has done, never forgetting the basics of the gospel. Because it has profound implications for how we live today. There are some Christians who think, that, oh, oh yes, I know what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but I can just park that over here and I can somehow continue in life without really thinking about that again. But actually it's pretty fundamental to our ongoing Christian life. We constantly remember Christ's death and his resurrection. It's one of the big fears I have for people uh, in the Christian church is that they, they don't seem to know very much. And some don't even know that they don't know, and they don't believe that they need to know. It's pretty shocking that people have been professing Christians for years, maybe even decades, and yet seem to be so ignorant of some of the basics of the gospel, because they don't read their Bibles, they don't meditate on the Word, they don't have the kind of fellowship that encourages each other. Just don't know. Now, how do you know when you know the gospel? I'm really getting down to basics. How do you know that you know the gospel? Well, here's another question. Can you explain it to somebody in simple terms? You always know when you've learned something when you can explain it to someone else. If you just come out with a, an avalanche of words... <laughs> and the person's life more bamboozled than before, then you haven't learned anything, really. You don't know what you're talking about. But if you can explain it in simple terms, then you know what, you, you know what you're talking about. You know, if I were to ask you, can you explain to me the gospel? Would you be able to do it? And sometimes I do that on a pastoral visit. Can you just explain to me what the gospel is? And it's quite enlightening. Now maybe I'll ask you the next time I visit you. So you better mug up. (laughs) But it's a serious point, isn't it? Do you know the gospel? Do you live in the knowledge of that gospel? Of Christ's death and his resurrection? But the second implication uh, is, uh, the second thing that comes out of this is, is that now we must learn to think of ourselves in a new way. So both of these involve thinking differently. In verse 11, uh, the Apostle Paul comes to the, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is the first imperative statement, the first command, if you like, the first exhortation that Paul gives in this letter, chapter 6, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So you must do this. This is an instruction. You must do this. What are we to do? We're to consider, we're to think Think about ourselves. How do we think about ourselves? We think about ourselves as dead to sin, dead to that old life. See where it begins? It begins in our minds and how we think about ourselves. That's the, that's the best answer to temptation. You face temptation to sin. What's the best answer? The, the best way to fight it, you say to, your, say to the, the tempter, I'm gone from that world. I don't belong there anymore. 
I'm a Christian now. I'm, I'm in Christ. I th- think differently, you see? And you can train yourself to think differently about yourself. If you're a Christian today, you must not keep thinking of yourself as though you were the same person you once were. Because you are now dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. It shows us the importance, I think, of the Christian mind. That based on the facts of the gospel, our thinking about Christ and ourselves now, now needs to be completely different. That we, and we need to be careful about preserving what we know and mulling over constantly what we know of the gospel and its implications for us. Uh, too many churchgoers do not pay attention to this. They may think that to be a Christian, to be a Christian, I need, you know, if you're, if you're to be a Christian, I need to be a nice person and live a good life and base it on moral principles and somehow God will be happy. That's because you've forgotten the gospel. That's how the old self thought. We need a new way of thinking. And it starts with what God has done in Christ Jesus. And it will continue by thinking about what God has done in me and as a new believer. Are you thinking the right way? That's Paul's application from the passage. To think about the gospel and to consider yourselves in a new way and rejoice in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage and for the wonderful work of Jesus Christ again. Lord, shape our minds, we pray. Help us be transformed as our minds are renewed instead of being conformed to the patterns of this world. Lord, we want to be filled with your word and filled with the joy that the word brings. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.